Theology Gals, Episode 8, Dispensationalism. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Harmonetics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to Conversations from the port. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. We are a podcast by women and for women, and this is episode eight, which we'll be doing on dispensationalism. And um, but before we get to our guest, just a few things. Um, if you're listening on the website, maybe you don't know that we have our own RSS feed now. So if you want to subscribe, you can go to Theology Gals on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use and subscribe there. We are still in the Bible Thumping Wing Net Network, but we are on our own feed. And I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Ashley Glassick. Hey, Colleen. So how are you doing, Ashley? Um, I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a nice week. We had spring break this week, so my husband and I are, are enjoying that. How are you doing? Good. That's, that's nice, because your husband is a teacher, too. Which yep. maybe some of our, I know you've mentioned it before. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's gotta be a really great advantage of both of you being teachers. You have the same days off. Yep. And we're in the same district. So same schedule. It has been really nice. We've gotten a lot done in our, on our house this week. So yeah. Enjoying, yeah, enjoying you it. Guys are, you guys are still kind of getting settled, right? When did you move yes. in? We moved in around Thanksgiving. Um, is when we bought the house, but we've been so busy. I feel like we're still moving in, in uh, April. So <laughs> um, I was thankful for the week off. Yeah. It t- I think it takes a while when you move into a new house because first you're kind of moving in and getting settled and getting everything where you want it and that sort of thing. And then you're seeing things that you want to change, you right. know, maybe paint this room or whatever, little things like that. And Mm so you probably get a lot done this summer. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's a historical home, so we're not allowed to change a lot about it, but we can change the inside. Uh, There's all these rules about what you can change, what you can't change. So. Oh, really? That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. I I didn't know that. That's. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's my kids have, had spring break this week also and we were going to go on vacation and then um just for various reasons we didn't and then we were going to go to the mountains and then they had kind of a storm up there so we ended up just staying home but my husband still had time off and the kids were off so we got some family stuff together and got to do some family things so um trying to think if there's anything else before we get to our guest uh, today, we're still on our What Do They Believe series, and it's kind of neat today because we're interviewing Andrew Rapp- 
support. And he actually has a book called What Do They Believe? So I wanted to mention that real quick. And he has a, a lot in there has to do with kind of the history of cults and different things like that. Not just cults, I guess, but, you know, what do Jews believe? What do Muslims believe? What do Mormon and Jehovah Witnesses believe? So that's something that you're interested. Definitely check out his book. Although our What Do They Believe is more kind of under the umbrella of Christianity. And yeah. his is more world religions. So a little bit different there. But um, And let's see, before we get to our guest, is there any other well, Any other um, things I'm trying to think. I think we only have maybe a couple more episodes in this series. Uh, we are going to get to covenant theology uh, pretty soon here, um, and we'll see what other ones we're able to do. But I think we'll probably end on covenant theology since that's what we hold yeah, to. Yeah, for now. Yeah, yeah. I think we probably will for now. I know that we obviously didn't get to everything. We de- yeah. definitely didn't get to everything. We got to some of the ones we get the most questions about, but we have time, you know, in the future maybe to hit some of those other things, um, you know, down, down the road, but we do have keep our listeners in suspense, but we have an awesome guest for covenant theology. Don't we, Ashley? Yeah. I'm really excited. <laughs> let's, let's just say if, if um, they could say, Colleen, you can have any person, any person you can think of on the podcast, who would it be? It would be this person for me. Yep. It would be the same for me. And so. I think we should mention about our guest, Andrew Rappaport, that he is not a heretic, even though there was jokes <laughs> made. I think if he's listening, he would appreciate me saying that. <laughs> Yeah, well, he 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 jokes around with me a lot. You know, I've I've gotten to know him some because um, Andrew is with Striving for Eternity Ministries and Bible Dumping Wingnut is under Striving for Eternity. So he's really helped me out, you know, with the podcast stuff and just been a great help. So he always um, teases me that I think he's a heretic, which of course I really don't. He's yeah, and I think you got to know Ashley that that Andrew has a bit of a sense of humor. So yes. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yes, definitely. Um, the other, only other thing I want to mention before we go is you can go to iTunes and if you can subscribe, or not subscribe, but rate our podcast, that would be extremely helpful. We did make it on iTunes' top Christian podcast list this last week, and I think people reviewing our podcast played into that. And I've been given some more giveaways. So I have some things to give away that we're going to be choosing some of those reviews to give some um, theological resources to. So thank you for listening. And we'll be back after this commercial with our guest, Andrew Rappaport. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid, biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new track just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. 
Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at trackplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's tractplanet.com, coupon code BTWN. Hi, and we're back with Theology Gals, and this is episode eight that we are doing on the topic of dispensationalism. And we have a special guest with us tonight, Andrew Rappaport. Um, he is with Striving for Eternity Ministries. And Andrew, for those who aren't familiar with you, can you just kind of share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I was uh, grew up in a Jewish home, saved at the age of 16. Um, and so I, that went over very well with my family. As <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the, uh, I came to Christ and really had a, uh, got involved in, when I got to college, in some false teaching. And because of that, when I realized that, I ended up wanting to know, how do we know what God's Word says versus what we want it to say? And I spent four years full-time just reading everything I could get my hands on on how to interpret the Bible. And and now I teach that. It's called hermeneutics, but that's really the heartbeat of, of striving for eternity is to try to get people to, it's a discipleship ministry, but we're trying to teach people how to rightly interpret God's word. And so that's really the focus. We have um, an academy, an online academy, the Striving for Eternity Academy, where we teach uh, systematic theology, have like 80 lessons. Uh, we have a class of on hermeneutics, which is how to interpret the Bible. We have ones on discipleship, ones on world religions, and they're all online for um, free. Oh, that's how we make money. Uh, and and so, yeah, real that- quick, we'll link that with this episode, you know, in case people don't remember the web address, we'll link Striving for Eternity with yeah. this episode. Yeah, if the, 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 the ministry website, Striving for Eternity, the academy is, you could do a shortcut and just do strivingforeternityacademy.org. And all of that is out there for people to to learn. We come into churches, do seminars on how to interpret the Bible. In one weekend, we try to give people the the what they need to rightly handle God's word. So we listen to people on the radio, or someone hands them the shack, they can read it and go, "Yeah, I see what's wrong with this." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where where are you geographically? Where are you coming from? Well, it's good. That means that I don't sound like I have a northeastern accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear it a little bit. I hear it a little bit. I'm from New Jersey. Don't hold it against me. Uh, all good things come out of New Jersey. It's the things that stay that are a problem. Oh, I haven't heard that one before. That's good. Yeah, we have really good politicians. No, yeah. no, we don't. <laughs> what, it, what is New Jersey known for? Like, um, we get, we get all of New York's garbage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) basically New Jersey is called the garden state. It was really known for, it was a a lot of farming area years and years ago. Uh, but now I think we're known for high property tax and 
really just uh, high cost of living. Yeah. So what happens when you have liberals running a small state for a long time? <laughs> and a certain reality TV show. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thanks. I really want to remember. I actually, okay, so <laughs> I actually open air preached at the location where they would film Jersey Shore. Oh, wow. And so I have seen them. We would we would literally, uh, just because we knew what they would do, um, what they would film us if, if the actors are there. They would film for, I think the longest we had was an hour and a half of filming. They were filming you guys preaching? Yep. yep. And we had huge crowds because of it. And then they would wait for us to finish so that we could sign off so that they could use it and we would never give them permission. But we let them build a huge crowd for us weekend after weekend after weekend. And they would hope that one of us would sign off and, and let them, you know, butcher us and on their show. And But we just used them to help build a crowd. Huh. Well, well, that's pretty I've, cool. I, they are uh, not the most intelligent group of people. I'll say that <laughs> having met some of them. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think that's how they got on the show for being intelligent. No, I don't think that's what the show was about. No, no. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. that's actually not why we had you on today. We didn't have you on to talk about reality TV. Uh, we're talking about uh, dispensationalism today. So I've never heard of that before. You've never heard of it. Well, maybe you're the wrong <laughs> guest for this. <laughs> Uh, could you start by giving us, I don't know, like a, a summary? Like, what is that? Because yeah, I, I me, think some people haven't even heard that word before. Yeah. And let me tell you what it's not first and then talk about what it is. Because most people, I would actually say the majority of people, think that dispensationalism, if they've heard of it, is an end time system. They think it's the Left Behind series. Uh, it is the all of the genre of movies where there's a rapture and you're left behind and you have a seven-year tribulation. It's great for movie making, uh, but it dispensationalism is not an end-time system. It's not a premillennial, pre-tribulational end-times view. That's the byproduct of dispensationalism. And you never judge a system by its byproduct. You judge it by its core beliefs. And so dispensationalism is not focused on the individual dispensations. And I could explain what a dispensation is in a bit, but most people think that what it's focused on is arguing over how many dispensations there are and all the different things that happen in those individual dispensations. Hmm. A dispensation in short is just an economy. It's that's what the, the where we get the word from the Greek is, but it's the idea of an economy. It's God's dealing with His people. Uh, so dispensationalism actually is a hermeneutical system. It is a way of interpreting Scripture, and it's going to be different than say covenant theology because it's mm -hmm. going to have a different set of rules. And so, you know the the thing to realize is it's not an end times view. It's a, it's a rules of interpretation view. It's, it's the goal of it is how we're going to handle God's word. And you're going to see differences between covenant theology, new covenant theology, dispensationalism. You know, you guys had a Lutheran on a couple episodes ago. They're all going to have differences in the way that they're going to handle scripture. 
And that's really what each of them, when you really want to dig into them, that's where you have to discuss what they are. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a different framework. And one thing I've kind of learned, it's a different approach to understanding scripture. I mean, well, each, each one of those things is dispensationalism um, and um, covenant theology and Lutheranism and, you know, the rest. Yeah, I think, you know, Colleen, you and I talked about this. I think you had a, an episode where you, you discussed this, but, you know, a lot of people don't historically know some of the covenant theology was, was really originally came out of Roman Catholicism. And, and people say, oh, so you're saying it's a bad thing. It's just, this is the, this was the way that, uh, that they had done interpretation. The reformers believed in what we call reformed theology, which most people think is Calvinism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just words have changed. And reformed theology back in the reformers day was a way of interpreting scripture different than the Roman Catholic church did. And it led them to realizing that the areas where the Roman Catholic Church was wrong, and they corrected the the hermeneutic. Uh, and so dispensationalism really came out of, uh, and and this is why it has the so many people think it's an end time system. There were there was a uh, basically in Niagara Falls like convention, uh, not convention, a, a conference where they were discussing premillennialism. So it started out coming from a view of looking at end times and studying end times. Now today it's primarily baptistic, but it wasn't back then. There were there were Presbyterians in the Niagara Falls Conference. There was Baptists, there were a lot of different denominations. Then from there it became a thing of well, how did you get to this premillennial view? And that's what ended up coming out where people started to develop the hermeneutic that is now known as dispensationalism. Okay. Now it's dispensationalism is most known for having lots of charts of the end times. Uh, <laughs> so people always bust on me. Do you have your charts with you? I, I don't actually use charts because I, it sounds strange for some people, but I don't really care that much about end times. I, I know Jesus wins. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, I guess my question is because I was raised, I was raised reading Left Behind, and so that's my only really interaction. <laughs> with, I apologize. Thing. I know. I apologize. <laughs> and so, could you explain to someone like me who holds to covenant theology now, like how is it different? Like how do you, how do you see scripture differently than someone who holds to covenant theology? Sure. And uh, for the record, I've never read Left Behind. So. Okay. <laughs> There's three core, what we call the sine qua non of dispensationalism, that which is that which is not without. So in other words, the the three things that defines dispensationalism, and in them we'll see a difference between that and covenant or reformed theology. One is that dispensationalism is a system that's going to harmonize the results consistently using a literal or normal interpretation of scripture. So the first one is a normal interpretation. When I say normal, it means that it's going to be more taking more of a literal approach to scripture rather than a figurative approach. So it's going to be one where we're going to see things and not try to 
and I, I, I want to use language that doesn't set people off that uh, to thinking I'm not saying that, that I'm, I want to make sure people don't misinterpret what I say. The a, a figurative approach will take something that is could be meant literally. And because they see this used elsewhere, they start to give it a spiritual meaning. Uh, this is one of the reasons I find it hard for anyone that says that they're a dispensationalist uh, and they would be, you know, holding to infant baptism as an example. And the reason being is because they're they're going to take the word circumcision and give it a meaning that wouldn't be a literal meaning. And they start to... to as a dispensationalist would would see it as changing the ideas of, of certain words. So we're going to take the the scripture more literal than figurative. And that plays out in a lot of ways. If you take, for example, the uh, an easy one is Revelation 20. Is a thousand years an actual thousand years? Or is it just a figurative period of time? Mm-hmm. It depends whether you're going to take that literal or figurative. Literal, it's a thousand years. Figurative, it's a long period of time. Now, the difference is, and, and the the accusation that gets made against dispensationalists on this is the idea that, well, you, then you take everything literal? No. And that, that's why I, I tend to use the term normal hermeneutic. If I say, I'm so hungry, I can eat a cow, you understand that that means I'm very hungry. If Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, but only the Father knows, that means he's getting married. Now, that may surprise some folks, but <laughs> that's actually the idiom that he's using there. And we would interpret that as an idiom. We wouldn't interpret it literally that Jesus doesn't know something. So there are idioms, but some idioms, we don't even we don't really understand them. And so it, that's where I think dispensationalism will have a tendency to err on the side of literalness on things that are an idiom that, that because we may have lost the meaning of the idiom. Uh, and I use the one of Jesus not knowing because that's one where dispensationalists tend to fall into an error of saying, well, Jesus in his humanity didn't know something, uh, but he was divine. Right. So the first one would be a, a normal hermeneutic. The second one would be a distinction between Israel and the church. Hmm. So, Covenant theology or reform theology, and I'm, I'm kind of using those interchangeably because most right. a lot of people do. Uh, well, we did an episode on what is reform theology, just because it gets confused so much. People use the word reformed wrong, so we we know it. What you're saying? <laughs> well, you do because yes. I listen to you guys, but right. I also know that not everyone listened to all your episodes, which means they should go back to those previous episodes. Good, thank you. Mm. Thank you. Good plug. The same. <laughs> you should start on episode one <laughs> so but when you when you have this uh, the view is going to be different because you're going to see israel and the church either being the same or different and it's really how much on that spectrum of continuity and discontinuity is there hmm. and so what you see is dispensationalism is going to say there's there's a lot less continuity so how does this affect things? Well, a, a real good example is you take a book like um, the Song of Solomon and you're going to see that, or sorry, uh, uh, we, I was going to use that one for someone else. So let me say this. So you'd see someone like, well, 
infant baptism or you see um, a church government that is based off of Israel's structure, hmm. okay, um, you're going to see a, a circumcision because there's an outward sign of a covenant. And in all of the other covenants, that outward sign was for the family. Uh, now, I would I would disagree with it, right? I would end up seeing that the outward the sign is the Holy Spirit, uh, seen in Jeremiah twenty uh, Jeremiah thirty one. So, you're going to see very differing views when it comes to Israel and the church. Now, what ends up happening is when you make a, a distinction between Israel and the church, is you're going to get to things something like Romans, you know, nine through eleven. And you're going to read it differently because you're going to see that as speaking of a distinction between Israel and the church and saying God's not done with Israel and he's got a future for them, which means he's going to do something else with them still in the future. So I would tend to see these land promises that God made to Israel, take them literal and say he's still going to literally fulfill that sometime in the future. And that's how people come to a premillennial view. Mm -hmm. But. That's not the core thing of what dispensationalism, they come to that. The third distinction would be that it sees that the purpose for scripture and, and everything that we know is doxological, not soteriological. So the difference is there, doxological is for God's glory, the study of glory, where soteriology is the study of salvation. This is going to be a difference of whether everything in scripture is about man's salvation or God's glory, where that's going to come in. I'll use the book of Solomon now is you're going to interpret that book differently based on all three of these things. I'm going to look at this as a more literal book where the view is that toward Israel and that it is written for God's glory. Now a covenant theologian that's seeing Christ in every book of the Bible and seeing Christ in every passage of the Bible looks at this book and says, well, this is a, the marriage of the Lamb. And now once you say it's Christ as the, the groom and the church, well, now the question becomes, is you know was the book useful for the first thousand years? Now it would be in a covenant theological position because it's still, they would see Old Testament Israel as the church in the wilderness, as they'd see Old Testament Israel as the church, so there wouldn't be an issue there. It's an argument that some falsely make toward it. But now what do you do with some of the more graphic descriptions of Solomon and his bride? That we're not going to want to apply to Christ and his church. <laughs> so it's figurative. You see, now in, it stays consistent with the hermeneutic in Reformed theology because it's, it's a, it, you start to take that figuratively and see that it's about Christ, where I would take it literally and say that God is glorified in a loving marriage. And so I could apply it that way. So there's some examples of how we see the, these two differing views and, and trying to also not show how both sides tend to use some straw man arguments against one another. Um, and I'll, I'll just give a pitch now maybe is uh, my strongest thing is to try to understand one another's view. Right. Um, one of my best friends who you guys know of is, is Matt Slick. Mm -hmm. He and I disagree on a whole lot of things. He's a covenant theologian. He believes in infant baptism. You know, right. he's a millennial. Mm -hmm. We get into these discussions and 
a lot of people have asked us to get into discussions. We're, we're going to get into another one on, on gifts, I think, pretty soon <laughs> because we disagree. But the thing that so many people have told us is they love watching us debate these things because we love one another so much that we don't let our differences divide us. Right. <laughs> Every one of us is going to be wrong in our theology. We don't know where. If we knew where, we wouldn't believe that. <laughs> right. And that that's really been the, the thrust of this um, series that we're doing is, well, one, we, we want to talk about differences, but we also want to make sure we're not misrepresenting someone because if we don't really understand what dispensationalism is, we could easily misrepresent it when we're talking about differences. So, um, that's why we're glad to have you on. We, we you know, have the uh, Anglican pastor on and uh, Lutheran on as well, just to, we want to understand each other, you know? And I, I think we, we've seen that there, we, we all have a lot in common. It's, it's not, you know, our differences are, are, are really minor. So, you know, when I was in seminary, I had a professor who we were sitting and having lunch one day and I was, I was struggling with some things. I had a bunch of friends that were formed there at Westminster Seminary, and we would come to text of scripture, and we agreed on a whole lot of things. And I, I didn't understand why there were such differences and separations, being that the two seminaries were only about 20, 30 minutes away from each other. And hmm. he said an interesting thing. He said, you know, I go over to Westminster Seminary as an Old Testament professor, I can sit with the other Old Testament professors. We open up a text of scripture and we find a lot of agreement. But the systematic theologians can't do that. When they get together, they're arguing over <laughs> the, the systems right, and all the yeah. distinctions. When we're, he said, people of the text can find agreement. Mm -hmm. People of the systems. Right. Does, um, does, so... I mean, the system that is dispensationalism, because you're saying it's not just end times. It's it's a way you view um, all of Scripture, really. Um, does it affect the way you see salvation, soteriology? Like, does it affect that at all? Or is that pretty similar to how Reformed people would see it? Well, I'll tell a story that I've told many times, but I have I was taking a class on dispensationalism, and I had to read... I tend to read both sides of every argument. So I had to read a bunch of books on dispensationalism, obviously. Right. And I know you're a covenant theologian. You're, you believe in covenant theology. So hold off on ripping on me too quick when I say this. Wait till <laughs> I get to the end of the story. Okay. So, because everyone wants to jump in, because I'm going to describe covenant theology in a way that you're going to say that's not true. I understand. <laughs> but it's necessary. So what happened is I, I'm reading a dispensationalist, and he said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, the problem with covenant theology is that they have two ways of salvation, works in the Old Testament, the covenant of works, and a grace in the new, the covenant of grace. But we dispensationalists believe that ever since the fall, it has been by grace alone. I said, well, gee, I must be a dispensationalist. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Until I got to reading all of my covenant theology books. And I had a book that I opened, and it basically said this. The problem with dispensationalism is they believe in two ways of salvation. <laughs> Works in the old, quoting Schofield's reference notes, and grace in the new, 
But we covenant theologians believe that ever since the fall, it has been by grace. And I went, what? <laughs> and I just had to stop and, and look at these two and put wow, they are not reading each other. Hmm. So, yeah, it's an accusation, I think, falsely made on both sides that the other side doesn't believe hmm. in the same view of salvation. Both systems, properly understood, believe that ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, that when that happened, salvation has been by grace alone. Hmm. Neither system believes in a works-based salvation. It was very hard to let you finish that story. I was like, no, 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 that's not what we believe. <laughs> we don't believe that. Uh, See, if I say that to someone that's a covenant theologian, I usually can't get through the story without being yeah. interrupted. <laughs> yeah. If we, I say it to a dispensationalist, they're fine. They're happy with the first part. We we have Bible study Sunday night at my church, and we're literally talking about the covenant of grace and how we see you know salvation um, in the Old Testament is the same. And so I was like, no, <laughs> but yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I I know some folks that tried to see if they could change that to the covenant of Israel to avoid <laughs> that accusation. Um, my view is people should just be a little bit more diligent in their study to be a little bit more honest with what others believe hmm. and these things wouldn't be necessary. Okay. Uh, okay. So I don't want to make you cringe, but what do you think about the left behind series? Yikes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, well, to be honest with you, I can't, I can't say because I haven't read the series. I did watch the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know enough of some of the theology they were trying to say. And I think that in, in the little that I've seen of it in the movies, at least, or what I've heard from the books, they've, they've probably added things that are outside of scripture. That's what most of these books end up doing anyway, Mm -hmm. where I have the issue with left behind is that people were using that, to, as a study of theology rather than a fictional book. It, it's yeah. kind of the reverse of what I have with the shack. The shack has heresy in it, but they say, well, since it's fictional, we could just ignore that. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't ignore that because mm-hmm. that is, he is teaching theology in a fictional book. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's where I have the issue is when you, if you're going to teach theology you got to make sure it's right now if you're going to have a fictional book make sure the theology part of it's right even if the fictional part is clearly adding up right andrew i grew up with those old um, movies a thief in the night and i can't remember the (laughs) other ones so which one is better that weren't those from like the 1970s or something Yeah, I, I, if you ask which one's better, I'd have to say the ones with Kirk Cameron, just because they were newer, better, uh, better graphics, yeah. and 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 I I know Kirk and like him, so I'm going to be biased. Yeah, yeah. But, a Thief in the Night and the other ones were pretty cheesy, but we watched them in youth group. <laughs> yeah, I think I read the whole kids. They had Tim LaHaye had like a kids left behind series, and there was like 15 of them. And I read all of them. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah. so Colleen, you grew up in a, in a dispensational youth group. 
you must have played the game at least once where everyone <laughs> pretended to drop some clothes so that everyone so someone thought everyone got raptured without them, right? <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> of course. That that was usually that was usually kind of at, at Bible camp. And when I was a teenager, I attended a very, very dispensational um, church in Florida. In fact, my youth pastor from that church has just seen my Facebook stuff and has written me and said, by the way, I just want you to know that Calvinism is wrong. And that, not that, not that all points of Calvinism are inconsistent with dispensationalism, but, um, I, and I was a pain in the butt to, to all you pastors. <laughs> well, at least, at least you grew out would, of that. I clearly haven't. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I don't know. My, in fact, my youth pastor, I would stay after and say, so can you show me where that is in the Bible, what you were saying? And I'm like, and I would say, are you, are you sure? Are you sure that's what it means? And he finally got kind of tired of me and got some seminary student to start meeting with me to try to get me, <laughs> try to get me to understand um, dispensationalism, I guess. Yeah. And you bring up a, a good point. Dispensationalism is is not something that is mutually exclusive to Calvinism. Hmm. And a lot of people think, because a majority of the dispensational churches, which are typically Baptist, and people think that dispensationalism is Baptistic, King James only, and non-Calvinistic. That's not exactly true. I mean, Detroit Seminary is a Calvinistic seminary that is a Baptist dispensational seminary. Um, I did not go, I should have gone there, uh, or, or to masters. I would have fit in better at those, but the advantage of being at a seminary that was very much against Calvinism was I had to argue better on my papers. <laughs> yeah. I was going to mention, I was going to mention John MacArthur and masters cause he's out here by me. Um, he's a Calvinist dispensationalist, right? Well, he's, he always says he's a leaky Calvinist and a leaky dispensationalist. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, I think you brought up another, I think, super, super important point, And that is there's all kinds of different dispensationalists. A lot of my family is associated with um, a dispensational group that has probably some more extreme views. You know, they don't believe in baptism and the Lord's Supper and um, but you know, you can meet one dispensationalist and he's might disagree with another dispensationalist because <laughs> there are differences among you, right? So there's, there's what's called classic dispensationalism, which is going to be the, the, the hard line that's from Schofield, the early years of dispensationalism. Schofield's really kind of known Schofield and Darby because they're the ones who really kind of, you know, explain the system the first time and, and everyone kind of looks at them. So classical dispensationalism is going to have, they're going to see a really strong separation between Israel and the church. Then you're going to get into Charles Ryrie. Sometimes it's called Ryrie's dispensationalism, but it's, it's from his book dispensationalism today where he basically was kind of reining things in a little. And then you have now progressive dispensationalism. Where you see these differences is going to be how they view different dispensations or, or, well, let me explain what a dispensation is specifically. The dispensation would be a period of time where 
God is going to, uh, well, let me quote Charles Ryrie. A dispensation is a distinguishable economy in an out in the outworking of God's purpose. So this is going to be a way that God deals with his people in a period of time. Now, what that means is that in each one of these time periods, God does something like give new revelation, give new requirements, give new consequences. And so one of the one of the things that a lot of people make a mistake in is thinking that covenant theology is more biblical because the Bible speaks of covenants. And therefore, that must be more biblical. Well, first off, if people are making that argument, I'd encourage them not to because it's a logical fallacy. It's a fallacy of equivocation. We're using the word covenant two different ways. As an actual covenant that God made with people, and then as a theological system. Hmm. Dispensationalism uses covenants. Every dispensation is based on a covenant. The difference between Ryrie's dispensationalism and progressive dispensationalism is the covenant made with dealing with the covenant that that God made with King David. That's basically what's going to distinguish that one. But you're what you see is when dispensationalism started, it really was a reaction to dispensational theology, kind of the way the reformers reacted to the Catholic Church. It was very very starch and very much at odds. Now, with dispensationalism, it was the similar thing. You went very much against covenant theology, and as people started to deal with it more and, uh, and deal with the texts and deal with the system, they started to refine it and refine it, and it started coming a little bit more to the center. I actually argue, uh, I think, that this is what's happened within the covenant theology circles, where you have some of that movement to the center in what's called new covenant theology. And I think really the differences between new covenant theology and progressive dispensationalism is really how they interpret the end times passages. That's really where we see the difference. There'd be a little bit difference of how to, how, we interpret Old Testament passages in light of the New Testament. And that's that's really your, where you're going to see these distinctions the most. Hmm. What do you do with an Old Testament passage, especially one like that says, out of Egypt I call my son, and you see in the Old Testament clearly it's speaking of the nation of Israel, hmm. and yet in Matthew it's very clearly speaking of Jesus. And we have to say, well, how do we handle it? The different systems are going to handle those, not that one as much, but ones like that a little differently. Uh, where I'm going to say it's a double fulfillment. It was was speaking of Israel in the Old and Christ, though people in the Old Testament time didn't see that. Some covenant theologians will say, no, that was speaking of Jesus all along. And it was, you know, it was used of Israel, but it was always speaking only of Jesus. So you you can get those differing views. Now, when it comes to application, does that change anything? Usually not. Maybe in our church piety, how we how we run the church government type of thing, we see those those distinctions. But yeah, actually, like you said, when it comes to salvation, yeah, we're not going to differ. Yeah. Um. The it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the majority of American churches are dispensational. 
would that be like evangelical? I so I'm hesitant because I think that a lot of the American churches tend to be quasi dispensational, meaning they they don't really know what they are holding. Yeah, to. <laughs> that, um, yeah that's probably a better descriptor. <laughs> and here's here's one of the things you know. Look, we're on the 500th anniversary of of Luther's nailing the 95 Thesis. And mm-hmm. I have to agree, and, and this is going to sound horrible, and, and hopefully Colleen won't shoot me over saying this, but I have to say that the Catholic Church was actually right in one area. When Luther argued for a private interpretation of Scripture, bec- this was a major difference between Luther and the Catholic Church in how they interpret. And the Catholic Church said, no, you interpret by the church. And Luther said, no, you interpret privately. The difference between those two, very, very strong. And the church said, if you allow private interpretation, then you're going to allow all kinds of heresies and different groups to come in. And the Catholic Church was right. However, I agree more with Luther, who said, I'd rather have that and the truth <laughs> right. than not have it at all. Well, but you're right. The, the pendulum has swung pretty far in the other direction where it can be me alone in the woods with my Bible interpreting it for how I want to interpret it. Um, I think we see that a lot in the evangelical church. You know, I and this is going to sound strange coming from a dispensationalist, but I am actually glad and excited to see the shift back to reform theology. We, the pendulum does swing every 20, 30 years. I think, I think the problem has been that within the circles that many think of as dispensational, but quasi dispensational, the, the new evangelicals have gone so far off the, the camp Hmm. and off the radar that, we're in a situation where we need to rein them back in. The problem is it's not the dispensational camp that's reining them in where that should be. I mean, that's the, where the flaw is. It's, it should be our own camp that's reining these people in and saying, Hey, you guys, you guys are, you know, out of your minds here. Instead, you know, kind of my side of the, of American Christianity has said, no, this is working. We just got to keep growing it and growing it bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of those that would be classified as dispensational really are, well, I'd say it's most of them are quasi-Christian. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because someone, you know, some of these groups like like a, a Joel Osteen is considered dispensational. It's like, I don't even consider him Christian. Right. So... I think that the resurgence of reformed theology in the last like 20 years has actually been something that has, has brought back serious study to the American church. And I think that that's what's needed. Uh, I, I mean, obviously I disagree with the hermeneutic of reformed theology, but I think what needs to be in place is the serious study of God's word. That's what's lacking in the American church today. It's, it's one of the reasons we started doing this. We have a seminar called the uh, Bible interpretation made easy seminar. It's a weekend seminar. We come into churches. The reason we did that is we realized that so few people 
in the pews or even at the pulpit understand the rules of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And because of that, everyone is saying all kinds of wackiness. I mean, a book like The Shack should never have ever been able to be printed. And if people think, I, I doubt very much that any of your listeners disagree with me on, on that. But in case there's some, <laughs> just get his Paul Young's new book, The Lies Christians Believe About God, I think is what it's called. I, I'm mm-hmm. forgetting the I title. Think but right. yeah. And basically what he's, he says is, you know, most of what we hold to as orthodox doctrine, he calls a lie. Yeah. So if you don't believe me, just read his book, read the history of the church and, and say, oh, he's out of step with culture. But, you know, he would be considered dispensational. And so this is mm-hmm. on my side what I have to deal with. I have to deal with right. the really wackiness. I think that on the more reformed side, the advantage that has been is because reform theology is more tied to denominations, you have some structure there that holds it in place. And when you have independent, a lot of independent Baptist churches, they can do whatever they want, say whatever they want, and there's no one to hold them accountable. And that's where the problem is. It's mm. it's actually an interesting Old Testament concept. I'm not saying Israel is the church, just saying it's an Old Testament concept that works. <laughs> Got to you. Got to use the humor when, we, when it's you're there. Being, right? You're being very complimentary of us. <laughs> we appreciate it. Well, I I tend to do this with with any side. I, I want to fairly represent both sides and, and point out where both sides make bad arguments against the other side. Um, but if we're not going to be honest about what we believe and what someone else believes, then we can't have dialogue. Right. I mean, I tell people all the time, if they, want to, if they want to do a formal debate with me, I often want to debate their side of the argument, have them de- debate my side of the argument, and we can expose which one of us knows the other side better. You know, it's amazing how many people don't yeah, want to do I that. Don't know if, I don't know if you saw our episode with um, Pastor Brian Thomas on Lutheranism, but we talked about, um, he had come up with kind of five points to discussing our differences, and one of them was know the other side. Mm-hmm. How often people are arguing about things they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm a man and I'm not supposed to be listening, but yes, I did listen to that and I was cheering. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it, it's important. And the other thing that's important, I mean, the thing that denominationalism provides as, as much as I'm against denominationalism, I have to be honest with where it provides some, some guardrails in Israel, they would have these festivals that you would do. Why do they do a Passover? Why this Passover? You know, every Passover Seder, there are questions that the youngest man has to ask. So for years, I was the youngest boy in the family. It was my job to ask these four questions. But there are certain questions you ask. One of the questions is, why do we do this? Why do we Why do we lie down where most other nights we, we can sit sitting up, but on this night we recline. There's all these questions. And the, the r- rationale is we do this, the, all of this ritual, so that when we forget what the ritual means, someone will ask, why do we do this? And so it's actually built into the Seder to ask the questions so that we have the answers to remind us of the why we do these things. Why the Passover? What did it symbolize? And 
in in Judaism, it's all of this to, rem- to this remembrance because God knew people would go astray. Unfortunately, on my side of the camp, I think we've seen way too much go astray. So do you think that the Passover Seder, because as you probably know, I grew up going to them also since my dad um, is a convert from Judaism. Um, and of course, we in the Reform camp would see that it completely points to Christ in, in the way we see a lot of things. Do you see that also? Um, I think there is. I mean, I get accused of being a dispensationalist because I am Jewish. And I know you understand that, Colleen. Uh, yes, because my dad is a dispensationalist, even though my mom's reformed now. So I totally get it. I don't. Th- I think he always will be because of his Jewishness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Th- it's a thing where a lot of people think that because I'm from a Jewish background that I want something more for Israel. Um, but you, you know me a little better than most. And I, I mean, one of the things that people will always they'll be like, oh, you're Jewish. Tell me how you got saved. And my response usually is the same way everyone else did. Because there's there's nothing, you know, different or special about a Jewish person coming to Christ. Every person that comes to Christ is a miracle. Every person that comes to Christ is, is just an awesome miracle of God. It, there's nothing more special because... Uh, you know, I or anyone else is from a Jewish background. It's why someone asked recently online, they said, are you a, are you, are you a messianic Jew? And it was funny. That's a friend of mine before I had a chance to respond on Facebook said, uh, he's a Christian. (laughs) And this person didn't understand and was like, no, no, no. I, I understand that, but I'm asking whether he worships as a messianic Jew. And so I finally responded because when I saw it and I said, I think what so-and-so is trying to say is that I believe that we all come to Christ the same way, and I'm no, no different than any other Christian, whether I came out of Roman Catholicism or out of Judaism. I'm a Christian, and I don't try to live back under the law. But a lot of people think that being Jewish, I would have this special special feeling for Israel. Hmm. But I do the same way if you guys came out of Catholicism or Islam, you would have the same feeling for, for the, the people in that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. Um, I'm so glad you, you were able to come on. Um, I do want to ask you before uh, we wrap oh, no. up. Because the hard questions. Well, I've heard that sometimes you mispronounce names. I is, never. Is that, is that <laughs> accusation true? <laughs> Real quick, I have to say, when we prayed before this episode, because we always pray, Andrew said my name correctly. I think for the first time that he said it correctly when I didn't have to remind him. <laughs> we got in the episode and he said it the other way. Yeah. I I have I have tried. I have been accused of the other shows on Bible Thumping Wing Nut Network. I get accused of saying that it's conversations I think on the porch instead of from the porch. Uh, I think I'm just going to change that because they don't believe that it's a literal porch. It's a spiritual porch. So they should just be conversations from the spiritual porch anyway. But, but, <laughs> but they bust on me. And, and Mr. Paul Kaiser, who can never say, you know, Christopher fails. 
I mean, fails. I mean, Paul fails at saying fails. But uh, but yeah, super referendum, or however it's properly pronounced. Yes, super referenda. That's referendum. <laughs> I've said that wrong every different way. And if anyone listens to that podcast, Tim Shaughnessy had a lot of fun at my expense. It was brilliant. I think I listened to that one clip like five times because I thought it was so hilarious the way he made fun of me. Uh, but he he like started saying, you know. We're we're part of uh, oh I'm trying to remember how he said it, um, but it was like sh- striving for the everlasting, and <laughs> he was calling me Andrew Rapture Poot. <laughs> and, uh, the guys from the porch call me Andrew Rapture Port. So 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 much so that if Paul Kaiser now types on his phone Andrew Rappaport, it comes up as Rapture Poot. Nice. So uh, so yeah, we've we've you know. And it's not just those guys. Uh, Matt Slick, as his wife was busting on me just last night and saying, "Hey, you could you should change the, the ministry to sh- to starving for eternity." <laughs> 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 you know, so yeah, I I get a little bit of abuse, but I, I'm working on getting Colleen's Colleen's name right. Uh, <laughs> See, see, and you know okay. what? I I found that people on the East Coast are the ones that have the hardest time with saying my name correctly. Exactly why that is, but so you aren't alone. There, there's a whole club of you, and you can't mess so, up my name, so it'd be Ashby. very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> I can maybe mess it up. Can. Trust me, maybe you can. I, I underestimated you. Look, Mom always said, if you're good at something, stick with it. The problem is, the only thing I've ever been good at is failure. <laughs> Hey, Andrew, would you be willing to kind of, um, and you can send them to me later, but kind of give us some resources for um, our ladies if, you know, for further study, if they, you know, are looking for some resources. I, I mean, obviously your website, um, yeah, but I you have, might have some others. So I, I could give a couple of resources. I'm going to mail you my notes on dispensationalism that anytime I talk on it that I use. Okay. Uh, but I, we also have several videos on our systematic theology class where we go through them. And one of the things we did in there is we also on our, on our YouTube channel, we have three classes on dispensationalism. Then we have myself and Matt Slick discussing the differences between dispensationalism and covenant theology, myself and Paul Kaiser talking about the differences between dispensationalism and new covenant theology. And then Later on, uh, some years later, we were finally were able to record a new covenant th- theology uh, with Louis Lo- Loins and uh, who it was Carlos Montino. Um, yeah. So that I it was covenant that theology too. and new covenant theology. So we tried to give all of the differences there. So I think that that was a helpful thing to do. I think it's good to have some of these kind of discussions without misrepresenting one another without uh you know false accusations and and it's only going to come when we do the legitimate study of what one another believes it's it's necessary yeah andrew you and i had a conversation and it was several months ago and you and i i wish i could remember exactly what you said but you had said something about um desiring unity between people that disagree with one another because of the fact that we agree on the important things. We agree on the gospel. 
we agree on essentials of the Christian faith. And that conversation that we had really kind of stuck with me because I, I think that's something Ashley and I are really becoming passionate about is, you know, recognizing our differences, but but being mindful of what it is that unites us, which is in Christ. Correct. And this is, you know, again, being a fundamentalist Baptist dispensationalist, I'm supposed to be all about separation. Um, <laughs> at my seminary, I had to write a paper and argue on the six levels of separation. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I don't believe in this. So it was one of those papers that I had to argue really, really well <laughs> because I could get kicked out of the seminary for it now. Um, but I think that the issue is, and where I see this in Christian ministries and on podcasts and all this is, we see a lot of people who are promoting our own ministries, promoting what we're doing, and we want everyone else to see that, know that, be behind us and support us. And what that tends to do is create a behavior where it's us versus them mentality. And I'm sorry, social media is all about self-promotion. I, if you're on social media, it's self-promotion. <laughs> you know, that's that's what it's designed for. And now I'm not going to say all of that is bad, but where I see an issue is when we're dividing where we shouldn't divide just for our own gain. And, and I've seen literally where someone was making an argument about, against dispensationalism that they knew, they told me they knew it wasn't true. And I said to this person privately, why are you doing this? Because if I can get more likes and comments on, on all of my posts, when I post things, it'll show up in more people's newsfeed. Hmm. And I was like, so you're causing division for the sake of your self-promotion. That's horrible. And my dad raised me, you never complain about something that you could try to fix. And so I've really set it as a goal. And this, uh, you know, a couple years back, it became a goal of striving for eternity that we would do what we can for the Christian community to build unity around the essentials and agree to disagree in areas that we know what each other believes, but do it in a way where we show love and charity. That's what's necessary. And I really, this really came home to me. Matt Slick was debating two atheists and I was at the debates and talking to different atheists. And there was several atheists. I asked them about another atheist that's well-known and something that was going on with them. And one of the only one atheist was going was actually was honest with me. And this is what he said. I said, why don't you call this person out then if you agree that what he's doing is wrong? And this is basically what the atheist turned to me and said. He said, I can't do that. I would never do that. I said, why? He said, because whether I like it or not, he and I are on the same side and you are our enemy. I will always take his side and never do something that brings him down because we're, we have the same enemy. And it, it hit me like a sledgehammer that atheists understand what Christians should be understanding. That we should be working together in areas where we can. We're not going to work in all areas. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're at a Presbyterian church, you're not going to have me do the infant baptism. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, when, when I was preaching at a, a Presbyterian church, uh, we had a new visitor that came in to the church. Now, they saw me at the pulpit. Mm -hmm. 
Guy comes up, and the, the pastor of church is right there, and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I grew up Baptist, uh, but this is my first time coming to this church. What would be the difference between the church I grew up in and, and this church on, like, say, the area of baptism? And I said, well, I, I personally am a Baptist, but let me explain to you what this church's position would be. Now, what did I do? I made a distinction between what I believe and this church believes, but I didn't teach what I believed. I taught the position of that church. We went to lunch. The pastor turned to me and said, I wish that people in my congregation understood Presbyterian baptism as well as you, <laughs> a Baptist, just explained it. And And – that's the thing. I mean, so Striving for Eternity a couple of years ago decided we're going to start trying to disciple other ministries, help other ministries so that they can become bigger than us. That is a very bizarre way of thinking in today's day and age of Christian ministry. And so we've taken two ministries under our wing. Uh, we're looking to take on a couple more, but we have the ministry of Bible Thumping Wingnut. They were uh, they were already set up as a podcast and had a YouTube channel, but they didn't have and they didn't have a, a business structure. They didn't have a five hundred one c three. They had come under us and became a ministry of ours, and continued doing what they were doing and and built up this whole network of podcasts of which you're on and you're part of. And that has been a th way where we've seen the other ministry. By the way, is Creation Revival, which is a training ministry on creation. The neat thing that I love about it is when you look at Bible Thumping Wingnut Network and you look at what they're now doing, they're bringing in people that have great content but no audience. And they come onto the Bible Thumping Wingnut and it's like instant audience. And then they're they're doing the very same things. Instead of going, oh, your podcast is competing against my podcast, what are they doing? They're saying, hey, let's help you out. Let's give you training. Let's give you some equipment. Let's help you get started. Let's give you an audience give you a platform to, you know, to start working on. And then when you get good, you know, ready to go out on your own, as you guys have now done, you're on your own RSS feed, you go out on your own. And that's the thing we as Christians should be doing more of, doing cross-promotion, not just self-promotion. And, and stop thinking that we all have to fight for the same group of supporters. We're all on the same side fighting against an enemy that has a unified front. And it's just working on a divide and conquer mentality on us. And we play into it all the time. I'm sorry I jumped out of my soapbox. <laughs> I, I read an article, and I cannot remember who who wrote it. I could find it, though. But um, And it was about um, a certain theological topic that is popular, that happens. And that what it is isn't important. But one thing he said is, how do we look to the world when we treat one another like this? Mm -hmm. And I just thought that's, that's so important. You know, even, you know, an atheist comes into the Bible Thumping Wingnut group and sees Christians treating each other poorly is probably not um, consistent with the, they will know they're Christians by their love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 a thing where and we have seen that in the Bible thumping wingnut Facebook group at times. Now, one of the problems that people don't always understand is that Facebook group is is not like most groups. It is moderated, but the goal of the group is for us to practice our apologetics. 
So some of the atheists don't understand that there's Mormons in there. There's Jehovah Witnesses in there. There's all kinds of cultic groups in there. And we allow them in there so that people can dialogue with them, understand what they believe, discuss what they believe, and hopefully give them the gospel that they come to Christ. And and so it's it's really a platform to allow open discussion and really practice your apologetics and evangelism online. And so it's a little bit different <laughs> than what most people think of, because some people think it's the Wild West, <laughs> and it can seem that way sometimes. Yeah. It's bit. it's not like it's not like the theology gals where you you prevent us guys from being able to get in there, you know? Yep. We segregate for sure. <laughs> so, um last week on our show we asked we we do a question every yep. week and last week um I asked Colleen if she were to go to Starbucks, what would she order? And I'm very curious what you would order. I worked there for 4 years, so um I have a lot of Starbucks experience. Oh, I, I would. It wouldn't be an issue. Starbucks doesn't want my business, so I don't go. They don't want your business. <laughs> no, no. The CEO says, you know, he doesn't want the business people that believe that don't that believe in a traditional marriage. So, oh. so, so I don't. I don't go to Starbucks. It's not a problem. I actually don't like Starbucks coffee anyway. So it's not a. a, a what kind of problem. coffee? What kind of coffee do you like? Do you like coffee? I do, I do, but I'm not one of these coffee snobs that grind and you know have to have the water just the right temperature. I pretty mm-hmm. much don't care as long as it's not too bitter. So I, I drink like Dunkin' Donuts. We have a thing out here called Wawa. Oh, oh, okay. Now we got to hang up right now. Dunkin' Donuts coffee. <laughs> coffee is about the worst I've ever had. I thought we were going to make it through a whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I cook, I make my own coffee. And, and the reality is everyone loves my coffee. And there's well, nothing good. special about the coffee. It's, it's like Aldi's brand or ShopRite or something. You know, it's, it's, it's a no name brand. What it is, is I have really good water filtration. I drink a lot of water. Mm. What most people don't realize, I, I, many, many years ago, I almost opened a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, that would have been a bad thing for my waistline. Um, but the uh, thing that, that made, was so interesting is people love their coffee. They buy the coffee beans and go home and it doesn't taste the same. The difference was the water. Mm. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts has a huge filtration system. It's a major part of what makes our coffee so good for those who like that coffee. (laughs) So Ashley, um, I think probably anyone who knows me well knows my answer. And in fact, my son just a couple days ago said, I want to walk to Starbucks. Want me to get you something? And so caramel macchiato, I do not get it very often, but that times that I go, that is my go-to drink Hmm. and a hot one, not cold. Okay, Colleen, I may have to do this to Colleen, you today. Colleen, Colleen. So I did it wrong this time. <laughs> wow. I've been trying. It's, see, it's only when I, I slip. I okay, so I have to tell you a story for people who think that there's a big difference between Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. And this will be embarrassing for someone who's not here. But uh, we, I have a friend of mine who's a big-time Starbucks fan. I mean, he has Starbucks in his hand all the time. His name is Bill Adams. He's with a ministry called Sports Fan Outreach International. Great guy. One of the most organized men I know. But he loves his Starbucks and says he could definitely tell the difference between that and Dunkin' Donuts and that Dunkin' Donuts is just horrible. And uh, every morning, uh, we were in New York preparing for uh, the when the Super Bowl was coming to New York. So we went out early for 
kind of see different areas to, to do some evangelism. Uh, so every morning, Scott and I, this other guy who's with us, we'd go get Dunkin' Donuts. We'd go over to Starbucks and buy Bill his his coffee and bring it to him. And we'd get into this discussion. Well, one day I decided to buy him a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I went to Starbucks and just bought a cup. <laughs> and he drank that. And he was, I, I said, so you really think that coffee's better than Dunkin' Donuts? He says, oh, yeah, I could tell the difference. I told Scott, we're, we're not telling him that we did this. And so we decided we wouldn't tell him until the Super Bowl outreach, which was six months later, that we did this to him. And so the problem was is that they had a lot of ice in Atlanta, and he didn't make it when Scott revealed to everyone else, the 80 other people at the Super Bowl <laughs> were told that we played this trick on him, and he didn't know it, but it was recorded. And about two months after the Super Bowl, when they record, when they review down Atlanta, they get a bunch of people together to, you know, go over the Super Bowl and kind of look at all the recordings. That was the first time that he saw and found out what Scott and I did to him. (laughs) (laughs) He was not happy with us. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Andrew, (laughs) Andrew, if I make it to, um, to, I forget the name of it. Ohio Ohio Fire. Fire. Yeah, if I make it, we'll do a taste test, okay? Oh, and no. So, I no, guarantee you. Know. No, then you will know. It has no, no, to be no, no. Surprise. no, no, no. You have to give me two. You have to give me two, you know, in plain cups. I guarantee you I'll know the difference. Oh, well, if I did a taste <laughs> test, yeah, you could. The one that tastes more bitter is, is Starbucks. <laughs> oh, not even. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, you know, I do hope you come to Ohio Fire. Ohio Fire is going to be um, – in April. Yeah, tell people what that is. So it's, yeah, that's important. It's, it's a really charismatic thing. No, um, <laughs> we actually, we're going to be taking some time off from from the these spreading the fire events because ever since Strange Fire Conference, we've had a problem with the name. So we're going to revamp them. We're going to be changing the name and things like that. But in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, we have an event called Ohio Fire. Uh, we've been doing. I think this will be about five years or six years, and um, it's going to be on um april 28th and 29th it's a friday night and saturday and we're bringing in justin peters and may may know of him from justin peters ministries does a lot with uh, the faith the the faith word of faith movement and then dan phillips from pyromaniacs he was on the blogs with uh, phil johnson and so they're going to come in and i'll be speaking three of us are going to speak the topic this year is going to be the attributes of god we're going to each focus on one or two different attributes that we're going to be preaching about and, and lift God up. So it's basically a conference where we bring a lot of people around, you know, from around the area together. Uh, and then we also go out, many of us, not everyone, but many of us on, on Saturday night, go out and evangelize together. And so we provide training for people that don't know how to evangelize. But one of the things that makes our conference, or at least used to make our conference different, now a lot more conferences are doing it. We try to keep it small so that everyone has opportunity to speak to the speakers. Uh, we don't have a green room. There's nowhere for them to hide. Uh, they have to to come to our conference. They have to agree to that there's no green room and be there talking to people. So that's what makes it, it kind of makes it a more intimate setting. You get to sit down with these the speakers and, you know, talk to them, and uh, which is a neat experience for, for a lot of folks. So, so Ohio Fire is the end of April, April 28th, 29th. Uh, the website's ohiofire.org. Uh, we'll have one in Jersey called Jersey Fire 
which will be the 10th anniversary of that. And that's going to be the 7th and 8th of July. That's not, and we go, we go evangelizing where they recorded Jersey Shore. (laughs) Ashley, you, you have to say what your favorite Starbucks drink is. And considering you worked there for so long, I think this is, Especially, sure. yeah, interesting. Well, they say that whatever you like before you start working there will change because you experience, you know, you're working with all the different things. I ordered the same thing I've ordered since I was a teenager, which is a grande ice latte. Simple. Okay, that's good. Shots of that's espresso, good. milk, ice. I'm very particular about how I want it made, but <laughs> that's what I order. Same thing every time. Okay, okay so, so my question. My question for you guys, who's your favorite dispensationalist? Okay. Is this going to be our question of the week or, <laughs> or is this just, well, I, I know my answer. Do you want me to tell you who my favorite dispensationalist is? Well, it depends if you're going to hold off to make it the question we can answer next week. Um, oh, is this going to be the question of the week or just a question? What do you think, Ashley? Um, you can decide, Colleen. I think we should answer this now because it kind of fits together with the episode yeah. and then do another question of the week. So, Andrew, I think that you're my favorite dispensationalist. No, now, see, I wish you would have said that next week so I knew that it wasn't because I was here. <laughs> I, 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 not well, now McCarthy. we know that you listen. I, I, so. No, I actually just told somebody that, by the way. I told my brother-in-law. I said, Andrew's my favorite dispensationalist. So... <laughs> You can call him up and verify that. <laughs> well, I'll say thank you. That was not the reason. For, I wasn't expecting that as an answer. <laughs> Ashley, do you have one? Um, I think his name is like Rapture Porch or something yep. like that. I, I can't remember exactly. I was expecting <laughs> you to say MacArthur. <laughs> <laughs> Pun. Since we answered that one, we got to do a question of the week. So do you have something good or I could come up with it? Um, why don't you come up with this one? Okay. Okay. Let me think real quick. Best sermon you've ever heard. Okay. So All right. Of the week. I will think about that. Uh, wait, Andrew, don't you have like a YouTube video called something like that? Uh, it's a gospel CD. We, we put the gospel on a CD and it's called the most important message you could ever hear. Okay. Most important. Okay. Got it. And, okay. and it's a, uh, it's, not about me. I, someone actually tried to argue that I think it's the most important because it was me speaking. No, um, it's the gospel that's the most important. <laughs> right. The message is the gospel. I've actually seen that. So, um, well, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, and especially Andrew for joining us and kind of helping us out. And we're going to put some different resources on the um, website. So just for those of you maybe didn't um, make it to last week's episode, we do have a new RSS feed. You can go to BibleThumpingWingNet.com, click on Theology Gals, go to this episode, and you can subscribe right from there, whether you're an Android person or you have an iPhone or whatever it is that you use. And also, if you get a chance, go on iTunes and review us. That kind of helps our exposure. And thank you so much for, we really appreciate it. And also feel free to email us any topic ideas at theologygals at gmail.com. So anything else, Ashley? Nope, I think you got it. Okay. All right. Thanks. And we'll see you next week.